It is now 3.30 here at KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover, Open Book. Welcome. Hello. My name is Raina Cowan. Welcome to another edition of Cover to Cover Open Book, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. For the next half hour, we're going to be talking about film. I'm really excited today to introduce my guest. Uh, Deborah Stratman is a Chicago-based artist and experimental filmmaker. She explores really interesting ideas, and I don't know if I can give it complete total justice, but... I will try. Not only is she an amazing photographer in terms of her work, but it's like watching something where you think it's going to be about one thing, and then you wind up having thousands of questions about other things, and then there's visual and very interesting audio things that go with it. So you wind up being engaged in a film in a way that you never expected. So with me to talk about this is the director herself. Uh, Deborah is uh, currently an associate professor in the School of Art and Art History at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's participated in many different art shows, including the 2004 Whitney Biennial. She's been at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the Center of George Pompidou in Paris, the Hammer Museum, the Walker Art Center, the Wexner Center for the Arts, among others. And she's in town because she's going to have a couple of events. Tonight, she's going to be at Pro Arts in downtown Oakland and tomorrow at the Yerba Buena Screening Room in San Francisco. So, Deborah, welcome to KPFA. Hi, Irina. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, great. So, you know, it's interesting to me because I wind up feeling like watching your films is kind of like a treat because there's a topic... And I have to say that there's something kind of interesting. So I've watched a lot of your films, some uh, on the big screen, but a lot on my big TV. And there is always a, um, what do they call it, like a password. And the password for your films is something that really (laughs) uh, captures some element of what you actually are doing that is like very sort of... uh, comical and fun about whatever the film is. I'm not going to give away any of the passwords, but, <laughs> but it made me realize that you are paying attention on multi-different levels at, mm. at all the time, uh, that we're seeing something unfold in a certain way. But really, uh, there's many things going on in your mind. And I wondered, when you come up with an idea, how do you sort of go about it in the first place? Well, well, every idea is so different. It takes a different process. So I don't have, you know, there's no formula I could give you. I'm, you know, I'm glad you <laughs> paid attention to the passwords because I do feel like a lot of times for me, there's some, um, not that they're a core question, but they have at root some um, some key that I can go to and won't forget about the film. So um, maybe that's a passage from a piece of writing and maybe that's what starts a film but usually it's more uh, a social question I have or a geographic area that I get curious about but 
regardless of what it is, it tends to start from a kernel. Um, I don't have, um, I never have a fully formed idea that comes first. It's the, it's the process of making the film that sort of also generates the question in a way. So um, that's part of why it's so hard to just talk about a, a general tendency in how I make things. But Well, one of your pieces is uh, called Hacked Circuit. It's a film mm-hmm. that actually people can see tomorrow at your Buena. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think maybe one of the things that it's about is... Uh, surveillance and how something happens Mm -hmm. in the middle of the film i am surprised and taken aback by seeing people trying to do foley and for people who don't know what foley is is that in films they are shooting um all the sounds that are in the film separately or some are on actually on when they're on location but most are done in a studio so here it is this foley being done or recreated of the conversation uh, with Gene Hackman there doing something about uh, trying to investigate a really amazing scene. So how did you get that idea to be in a film in surveillance uh, and not have it seem cheesy or cheeky in a way, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, the ultimate challenge, avoiding the cheekiness. Um, that film, I got interested in Foley stages just from having taught sound for so many years and um, when I would teach in California which I have done on and off over the years at CalArts I got to know a Foley artist um, named Greg Barbanel who really generously would give us my students meaning and myself tours of the stages the various stages he worked at and I became um just really enamored of how every object in the studio has this double identity. So it's a cup, but then it's the sound of the cup and, and this sort of stealth identity of everything or sort of a double a double meaning. And, and just the look, like the sculptural clutter of the space, I found really visually engaging. So it started from um, an attraction to the space and, and to uh, how objects were really flexible you know, in like kind of a Buster Keaton way, like everything had more than one use value. And then um, concurrently, I'd been thinking about for many years in film projects, but also non-film projects, um, just the history of surveillance and sonic surveillance and and mastery of um, vis-a-vis surveillance, which... To me, um, the craft of being a sound designer and the craft of being a surveillance artist are, they're, they're kind of, um, they're not the same, but they have a lot of rhymes between them in that if you're really a professional, then you're at the most invisible you can be, that people don't notice the work you're doing. So I thought, okay, here's, that's the kernel because I'm speaking about the world we think we see or the or the world we think we hear and whether that's to what degree we can believe in it i guess and and that seemed completely related to just the culture of um well paranoia and surveillance that we live in right now so it seemed like okay the fully stage could be a great epicenter for that and and i liked the idea of trying to form a structure that you could get involved with a film on that level and really be thinking about um, control um, infrastructures. Or you could just be into the film on the level of, oh, that's cool. I didn't know people did that. I didn't know they um, 
replaced all these little tiny sounds that people make in films and big sounds that it's such a construction so ultimately i hoped once you made your way through the circuit um because the film is a, a a loop basically um you just started being not sure about what was real and what was not um whether that was just strictly on the level of the art of Foley and sounds that you hear in cinema or on a broader social level. so Well, it, it's actually interesting because in the Foley shots that you see, uh, like there's something having to do with a lamp and he actually is doing something with a lamp, but, <laughs> but which is kind of unusual. Sometimes with Foley, it's like footsteps, but really it's made by, I don't know, a toaster or whatever. Something, <laughs> you know, something else is being used mm. to create something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Greg's a great single person Foley walker. He, yes. Some are double, some people walk with two feet and he just, you know, has hundreds of shoes and just does the one foot. Uh, but he was using a bowl in the shot you're talking about instead of a lamp. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. So that there's something ab- about that. And th- this is my idea about how watching something of yours winds up raising all these questions mm-hmm. that are questions that you don't think that they're going to be necessarily questions you would have by watching that film. It's kind of everything kind of expands out. Well, that's a good. I'm glad you have that reaction to it instead of it sort of shrinking down and becoming shutting you down. <laughs> um, yeah, I never want. I mean, I want the films to have a kind of rhetoric to them, but but that's purely cinematic, where the argument they're making couldn't be done with words. That there's um, questions that it. Not that, not that I think all my films make arguments, um, but a lot of them do, and and I think it's important that they have a kind of rigor, but that the rigor is really rooted in um, in what cinema is. And cinema is not theater, and cinema is not literature. It's cinema, and so how can you be, um, you know, let the language happen in that way? Yes, well, it makes me think of another film which I watched, I don't think it's showing, called Musical Insects. Oh, yeah. Where when I first started hearing, there's this buzzing sound, and I think, oh, no, not another one of those. Like, uh, we've had at different times people work at the station, like from two to four, it's like this electronic buzzing, and uh, that's music. And I thought, oh, no, is it going to be one of those? But then what we see is a children's book, perhaps, or just a book about photos um, or hand-painted pictures of insects and then it becomes about something entirely different and that what we're hearing that buzzing by the end once again a loop i realized that it's actually insect noises and that it becomes from something at the beginning that was ugly by the end it's like beautiful and i feel like i'm in contact with (laughs) nature or something yeah i'm um well i'm a sucker for a drone for sure and i'm one of the people probably who who you're describing who loves the sound of like sodium vapor lights (laughs) or the hvac (laughs) i sort of i love that but i also Love um, musical insects, as does I'm blanking on her name, the illustrator of that book and the writer of it, um, and just that she and um, others, I guess, who entomologists and people who study uh, what are they called, orthoptera, the, the insects who make music, um, that they're thinking about them in an orchestral kind of way, um, or that they are musicians as well as you know, c- coincidental musicians maybe, um, but that there's 
this sort of poetry to what they do, which is why I decided to just cut it in the middle and put in a jazz track. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the lucky films that I didn't really edit. Um, I mean, I edited it in camera, but it just sort of came out. Some films are really um, effortless, and some take like a decade. <laughs> right. Well, so, so it's just to stay with us for a minute, that if somebody said, can you, Raina, make a film about musical insects? I would think, okay, I have to go out into the field and maybe I'm going to be showing, you know, like somebody digging through the ground and somebody dressed, you know, all in a certain kind of outfit to go hunting. And there's something so delicate and beautiful about focusing on it from a book, which I don't think I've ever seen really in a film before. Yeah, that's funny because I was just bringing up like cinema should be cinema and not literature. <laughs> and here I am making a film from a book. But I, I that was a prompt actually where um, um, the the Pompidou Museum, they were doing a, a small exhibit, I guess. It's been a few years and so I can't remember the details where they had asked different artists to respond or somehow make a piece about their favorite book. I didn't quite, when they asked me the question, I didn't quite catch favorite book in you know, it was just like respond to a book. So I'd, it's one of my favorite books. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say that it's like my absolute favorite book, but I, I chose that because of that prompt. It wasn't that I first had the idea. Okay, I want to make a thing about musical insects. I just happened to have, I happened to be a fan of musical insects. So I had that book in my collection and really loved the illustrations and thought, oh, the, you know, let's see what I can do with um, an extreme close up, kind of very claustrophobic way of shooting. And uh, I mean, the book, the images allow it to open up into a much bigger world, obviously, than just the distance between the lens and the page. So even though it feels a bit um, claustrophobic or, or intimate, I guess, it also sort of, I don't think you feel trapped there. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah. You feel enlivened. We're talking to Deborah Stratman. She's a Chicago-based artist and experimental filmmaker. She's been invited by uh, the Cinematheque for two programs. Uh, one this evening, the Canyon Cinema 50, which is a retrospective of some of her earlier work. It's tonight at 8 p.m. at Pro Arts, and then tomorrow at 7.30 at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Uh, one of the films you're showing tomorrow is the Illinois Parables, and... Uh, so you both, I've seen films where you do all the shooting, uh, where I think you're an exquisite shooter. And then also, uh, in this film, there's also uh, archival material. Mm-hmm. So how do you treat the difference between your the film that you shoot and then the archival film that you're using in a project? How do you get familiar with the archival mm-hmm. film in a different way? Well, I mean, in a... F- to me, they're actually closer than you would think. I mean, if I've shot something really recently, that's not the case. But a lot of times, and especially with that film, some of the material I'd had for quite a while before I started editing it. So it almost is like dealing with found footage because I've divorced myself from the trauma that might have been involved in shooting it or how hard it was or how long it took to arrange. Um, and it's a diff- it's such a different headspace. So hopefully, once I get to the place where I'm editing um, I like to try to let go of, um, you know, what you hold on to in the cinematographer side of things and just put myself more in the seat of the editor. And I don't, um, I think it's it's the case that I definitely shoot most of my films. There's a few exceptions, two or three, that I've had a cinematographer or I co-shoot with someone, but... 
um, nine out of ten of them, I've I've shot myself, and um, there's something I think in a roundabout way of answering your question that um, it's important to me that I shoot them because there's a different. I think there's a different triangulation that happens between myself, reality, and the camera. That would be. Um, different if I had another person in there or just, you know, it's a different negotiation and there's something really stable about that three-part triangular relationship. I mean, I guess the triangle is isn't that one of the most stable things in nature, or at least in the built universe? Um, I mean, but that said, I also there's no, I don't have a hierarchical relationship in my mind between material I shoot and found material. I mean, if it does the work, if it asks the question or if it, um, if it provides the texture that I need, then I have no qualms about quoting and using if it's, you know, text or sound or um, images from a newspaper or from a painting. I mean, all those things. I actually really like the register shifts that happen between them. And I think they build a certain kind of meaning and they provide a um, a kind of a relief, right, from because... I'm going to shoot the way I shoot. So sometimes having material that I'm meeting somewhere in the middle because someone else generated it, um, say in the case of a painting, uh, it gives you kind of a speed shift when you're watching the film. Not a literal speed shift, but a kind of, uh, I guess, a register shift. And I like playing with those shifts of register when I cut. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like in... In Illinois Parables, you're playing with many things. I mean, you're talking about old things that are resonating with a contemporary voice. They're like, it's sort of these moments from history that have resonated in a different way over time. And these different belief systems that are there. Uh, And then these events. So there's like this tornado that kind of leveled a town. And then there's the shooting of Fred Hampton, who's a Black Panther in Chicago. So there's a range. I mean, you think how do these things all work in a film together and yet they really uh, yeah. are kind of building on each other? Yeah. So you're saying when you edit, you ask a series of questions to yourself to to go from being the cinematographer to being the editor. So in this film, what kind of questions were you asking yourself in terms of how you were assembling the piece? Yeah, um, I guess it started with thinking about the way we look to faith and technology to answer things we can't quite get our heads around. Um, And that's what led me to some of the locations I shot in. I think about partway through working on the film, I realized maybe asking that question, I don't know if it was asking that question or uh, that led me to sites where Exodus was um, at play or migration or sort of... um, removal or if somehow um they're part of the same question that i still don't even know but um i mean part of the thing that led me to the sites was trying to find histories that were unusual or that weren't the sort of go-to histories for illinois it was a challenge for me someone had kind of casually suggested hey you could make a film about illinois this filmmaker named kate brown who I know who's based in L.A., and she had an idea for a sort of omnibus film where 50 people would each make a film about a state and half-jokingly said, well, you, why don't you do Illinois? And I thought, well, that's impossible. I mean, like any place you're from, you know, it seems so 
I don't know, I'd be the, you know, oh, I can't imagine a more boring film. What would I do? But then I thought, well, okay, who else is going to make a film about Illinois? <laughs> and maybe there's something to, you know, those those central I states like Indiana and Iowa and Illinois and the, and and this part of the country that you know has a really specific local history and because it's really local it's really political and so I thought okay maybe I am the person for the task um, so yeah part of the question that led me to the places was just um, having a variety of stories that maybe were less obvious um, and also they like the discrepancy or the sort of the the um the distance between the stories that you mentioned or how does Hampton fit together with the tri state tornado um it's has more to do with like every story is very specific to a date and um its original event, but it also speaks sort of allegorically, and maybe it was the allegories where there is more connection than the actual um, originating event. So, well, it is interesting. There's like this moment where, for example, there's these uh, giant sort of lumps of land. I don't know how to. Mm. The, and then at first I thought, oh wait, are they, are these like somehow where there's like all these bugs kind of close up, or is this where somebody was buried? And then it turns out that it's connected to radiation. It's a mm. whole other kind of story, but. That's the part about the asking questions that I am already, when I'm watching something, I'm sort of going in a certain direction. And then it's like, oh, no, actually. Yeah. Well, we're so used to that from film, right? But it kind of gives us, right from the beginning, usually it sets us up of, okay, this is the kind of film this is going to be. And this is the kind of um, problems I'm going to set you with. But I've always enjoyed sort of the feeling as an audience member myself being dropped into a place where I have to orient. And so I think in a film like Illinois Parables, you end up having to reorient maybe more than you typically do in a film. Like with the mounds, there's not even just one kind of mound. There's uh, in the beginning, you see a mound and you you come to understand that as, oh, it's a early people's Cahokian mound. And then you see mounds later and you think, okay, well, it's the early people's mound. But no, it's the Joliet Arsenal and sort of military storage. And then you see a mound again at the end and you think, okay, now we're back because it's in the shape of of a animal and you're seeing it from above. Now we're back to the First Nations, but no, it's a contemporary artist, Michael Heitzer, who's a land artist. Who's, it's 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 the landform itself is reenacting yes. another version of the landform. So it's, I love the mounds because I think it's a way of writing, you know, leaving a trace that's that's not literally words, and yes. that I find really beautiful. Yes, it seems like that, and there's something about that being dropped into something, because so much of the of the way that storytelling is used in film is often leading you in a certain direction. I mean, that's how sound is, how music is, and so you're trying to do something completely different. So, uh, mm. but it works, you know. So we wind up learning kind of how you think or how you visually experience the world in a way. Yeah, well, at least when I'm making films. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but there's something, yeah, I think about, especially when you're dealing with history or these kind of specters from the past that it's already in a way it shouldn't be docile to linear time. I think it kind of demands a different way of thinking about time and not just, okay, A, B, C, D, this sort of causality 
that's one way of thinking about time, but I guess I want the f- structure of the film to suggest other ways of making linkage besides causal, or in addition to causal, um, or a linear trajectory. We're speaking to Deborah Stratman, and uh, she has a film program this evening and tomorrow evening. Uh, you're listening to Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan. Now, when you started out, did, is this what you were trying to kind of wrestle with, these kinds of ideas in terms of your work? Or do you think it's sort of that you have uh, kind of shifted and moved or opened up in the same way your films open up? You mean from when I first was making films? Yes. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, it's totally shifted. I mean, the filmmaker I was 10 years ago is different from the filmmaker I am now, and um, which is part of why the Illinois Parables was hard to put together because some of the material was shot you know, a decade before the other material. But um, I think in the beginning, because I had a slightly sciencey background as a young person, I was obsessed with physics and the optics of film and the that it was temporal. And I got really seduced by the mechanics of it. And I loved working with actual celluloid and the cameras. And it was sort of a geek interest, I guess, in the technology. and um, And also that sort of background in the nature of things and the physical sciences and that was really at the center and then you know as I over the years you know 25 or 30 years that I've been making films the work I think started to turn more social and a bit more historical I mean that was never an interest of mine um, as a younger person and came later in life I sort of had a political awakening a bit later than your average person but you just saw films like what like Vagabond by Agnes Varda. Oh, or, that was an amazing know, film. I mean, sh- mm-hmm. just things like that, or, or Wanda, Barbara Loden's film Wanda, just films that had a kind of radical uh, feminism and at the same time a, a kind of conundrum of an oppressed of an oppressed character or the what I liked about them is the characters were kind of mirrors and they showed us and all, everyone else in the film kind of um, they were able to show you the the situations they were moving through as much as they portrayed themselves and and you know it's a classic road movie with Fagabond actually so there, it's not that's not the only film that changed me but I think as I started becoming aware of the um, the social political work that film could do, it was almost like a charge of, okay, I have to, I'm, I love the sciences and I love that sort of wonder of discovery and, um, you know, what musical insects sound like, but there, I also feel like I, um, you know, not that I'm tasked with uh, making political work, but that the world sort of demands something more of me <laughs> so I'm trying to step up to it Yeah. so then when you look back at your old films do you feel like that sense of oh that's just like the old you or do you see elements of what you were trying to create over time I see elements there for sure I mean I see sometimes I, I look back just because it's nice to hold on to that place of unknowing and that place of um, lyricism and poetry I don't want to just be divulged of that you know i want i want some of that to still be in the film that i'm making but but it's a different yeah it's a different me (laughs) (laughs) right and and you're still playing with time and location and turning things on it their heads so it's it's like the elements are still there oh yeah yeah there's still an alchemy 
<laughs> Alchemy, that's what it is. Huh? <laughs> that's that's the, that's the science part, huh? the, the, the transformation well, part. Well, science and also paranormal. I mean, sort of both in there, right? I mean, right. I think it's good to have the felt and it's good to have the the logic. Great. Deborah Stratman, a Chicago-based artist and experimental filmmaker. This evening, she'll be at Canyon City Cinema 50. It's sponsored by the Cinematheque. It's at 8 p.m. at Pro Arts at 150 Frank Ogawa Plaza in Oakland. And then tomorrow, she'll be at the YBCA screening room, Yerba Buena, uh, showing the Illinois Parables and Hack Circuit. It'll be a great program at 7.30. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> it's been great having you. My name is Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Frame to Frame, and I'll be back later. Thanks for being here and talking about film with us. Bye-bye. Make a smart investment. Support KPFA Radio today. We make the most of every dollar donated by producing truly independent news, analysis, cultural, and public affairs programming. You are essential in keeping that information flowing and KPFA on the air. Invest today. Become a member or an ally as a monthly sustainer. Online today at kpfa.org. And we promise to stay as vigilant as always. In our peculiar new landscape, it is profoundly reassuring to see Richard Dawkins step forth with a new book, Science in the Soul, Selected Writings of a Passionate Rationalist. He'll appear with KPFA host Philip Maldery on Wednesday, August 9th at 7.30 p.m. at First Congregational Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Street. There is wheelchair access. Tickets available at the best bookstores as well as brownpapertickets.com on August 9th. Join Richard Dawkins. Good afternoon. It is now 4 o'clock here at KPFA 94.1 FM, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248 